Hello and welcome to Eyewitness Beauty, the podcast where we talk about the biggest stories in the beauty industry each week. I'm Nick Axelrod Welk. And I'm Annie Kriegbaum. My show and tell is, I guess, more of an arts and culture moment, so... Thank you. Annie, have you seen Wall Street, the Mark Wahlberg HBO miniseries? <laughs> no. Is it new? It is new. It came out like maybe two weeks ago, a week ago, but all six episodes are on HBO Max and I have so many things to say about it. And I don't know if we want to talk about it once you've seen it so we can compare notes or whether I just, or you, you want me to spoil it, but it is so insane. I, I'm not a huge Mark Wahlberg fan. So this will not make you more of one. <laughs> it's a documentary series about Mark Wahlberg, the entrepreneur. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And it's so it's cameras following him around, produced by his own production company, which is also featured in the documentary while he runs his various businesses. Okay. Like they don't show him acting. It's not about like that side of it. It's about everything else. And it is insane. The confidence that this guy has. He like is making these t-shirts that he just puts the word metropolis. No, it's something. Hold on. What is it? Municipal. You mean municipal. Okay. So he has a, a fashion line called municipal, but it's only just t-shirts with the word municipal on them. And so he'll He's be like, what, what's my version of streetwear? They like put the word street in, into the thesaurus or related word generator. And they're, yes. like, and they're municipalities. like municipalities. <laughs> municipal. so, he has, so he has a t-shirt line called municipal. He has a gym uh, franchise, which just seems to be a gym that he went to and liked a couple times. And then he has Wahlburgers, which is probably his most like famous chain. Which, like, mm -hmm. if Mark Wahlberg can't get a fucking hamburger right, like, it's a hamburger. Get it right. Why? Is he having trouble getting the hamburger right? Yes, he's having trouble. <laughs> like, the, the TLDR <laughs> is that he's having trouble with all of these businesses. Like, COVID happens during the filming of this documentary. Production is all screwed up for Municipal. And he has to close some of his Wahlburgers. And he like goes to like Philly to like shake hands and kiss babies for the opening of the Wahlburgers. Philly has to be like the last bastion of Wahlberg loving <laughs> territory. He yeah, also, he's like he, famously a racist and a, like a homophobe and has been arrested for hate crimes. Yes, and we've just all decided we don't care. And Kate Moss came out after the fact. After the Marky Mark Calvin Klein ads and was like, it was really weird and I hated it. He does not do himself any favor. I mean, so number one, you have to remember when you're watching this that the entire show is produced by his production company. So this is obviously what he thought. Made him look one, good. What he thought, <laughs> yeah, would make him look good. And number two, what he wanted to people to see about his struggles and – it is so twisted, if you actually start to think about it, the fact that he is one of the richest celebrities in the entire world, and yet he can't do a goddamn thing in one of his businesses. Like, I am shocked by the fact that he can't make a hamburger. And he thought this was good PR? I guess. I haven't finished the whole series, but like midway through, 
Nothing seems to be going well. He lives in a house that looks like he was on The Real Housewives of New Jersey. Like, yo, I want like one of those houses that like, you know, you look rich in and there's like fountains and shit. I want a room that's like a study that has like books on the shelf. It's like this enormous like Queen of Versailles, like weird house. It's insane. And also like it's insane that it's being released in 2021. A cis white straight male like with five failed businesses is like getting airtime like what and here we are talking about it Nick, and here we are talking i would have about to it. say you might be a part of the problem i might you know what i didn't think i had something to talk about but this reminds me okay cancel mark Wahlberg. canceled no i feel bad now i don't know make your own choices about mark Wahlberg, but i just feel like uh, we can't forget his like very problematic past hollywood is so fucked never. up like, we've forgiven mel gibson Wasn't he in like Daddy Daycare Part 5 or something like recently? And he made The Passion of the... Yeah. Side note, he's also working on a sequel. (laughs) Anyway, continue. (laughs) What's the sequel? (laughs) Um, Annie, I'm the Jew telling the Christian, but it's the resurrection. Hate to break it to you. Mm, He came out, yeah, three days later. The movie takes place three days later. (laughs) (laughs) I can imagine like the log line for this movie, like... (laughs) Three days later. Anyway, anyway, Meanwhile. what do you have? Okay, so let's cancel Mark Wahlberg. I guess you yes. made me feel better about that. But justice for every other cis <laughs> white male celebrity who's getting... <laughs> okay, this week, a bunch of Raya women have started releasing like online dating videos where oh, they've the one been... one of Ben Affleck? But also Chandler Bing, Matthew Perry. Really? A girl, yes. So basically people on TikTok or on Instagram are starting to release videos that celebrities sent them who they've been interacting with on dating websites. So it's sort of like the evolution of like screenshots of DMs with celebrities that are sexy or sketchy. Yes. Yeah, it's it's a total invasion of privacy, especially with the Ben Affleck one, because like he didn't do anything. And neither did Matthew Perry. And the creepiest part was like their friend was filming it off to the side so they were I think having a zoom call or like FaceTime on her laptop and it's just so gross come on yeah the crazy thing about Ben Affleck and then I feel like this is only we're only talking about celebrities that have nothing to do with the beauty industry but the crazy thing about Ben Affleck is how the paparazzi are obsessed with him have you seen those pictures of when he was dating Anna de Armas? They were literally taking a walk and there were seven paparazzis all just like focusing their cameras on them. Either he's in cahoots with the paparazzi or just Ben Affleck pictures are worth a lot of money because he's like a wreck, I guess. I don't know. I don't get it. Everybody's like ben, a wreck. These women releasing these videos are a wreck. Get yeah. a life. My favorite take on this was somebody said, the false narrative here is that it's like hard to fuck a celebrity, which is... <laughs> Which is true. true. Have you ever hooked up with a celebrity? Well, define celebrity. I would probably say I've dated people that think thought they were (laughs) quite famous. The closest I got was I made out with someone who is very famous in Quebec. Oh, Jeffree Star? (laughs) He's not an American who's famous in Quebec. He is like of Quebec and incredibly famous in Quebec. But if you're not in Quebec, you have no idea who he is. So a local celeb. A micro-influencer, if you will. (laughs) (laughs) No, he's like a legit, like, I remember asking him, he told me that he was famous in Canada. And I was like, well, if you walk down the street, like, would people stop and stare, like, run and, like, scream? And he was like, yeah. Anybody listening to this who has been, like, an OG, like, supporter of mine, I just want to say it's moments like these that make me appreciate 
what you guys have done for me from genuinely the bottom of my heart. There have been times where I've been out with people that think that they're hot shit for whatever reason. And not just people I've dated, but like friends. And <laughs> out of nowhere, I remember like I went to bleep his name out, but I went to dinner in LA with mm-hmm. at some like fancy, you know, scene and be seen type restaurant that only this person would ever want to go to. And yeah. we get seated by the hostess and this guy's like looking around. He always thinks he's hot shit. Always wears like Margiela or like whatever else is supposed to be. He like dresses like he thinks a famous person dresses. And he's always with famous people. God love him. But the hostess comes back to the table. The guy's like, oh, here we go. And she's like, sorry, are you Annie? <laughs> she's like, I've been reading your stuff. And this has happened not a lot, but like enough times to where it made me feel good. Not only because, you know, it makes me feel nice that people like my writing, but... But it also leveled the playing field. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Anyway, But now I'm dating a supermodel, as you know. There you go. Speaking of fans, I just wanted to shout out someone who is one of our readers who hollered at my dad in Venice, California, because he was wearing one of our baby merch pieces that had like my daughter's name on it. My dad called me thinking I'm literally the most famous person in the world. He was like, I was just walking on Lincoln Boulevard and someone pulls (laughs) over and screams like, are you Nick Axelrod's dad? And I was like, yes. And she was like, oh, my God. Like, I could tell from the T-shirt. And I was like, oh, thank you for making me seem like a success. Now your dad walks around with his hat pulled really low. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, like with like aviators on. He's like, I just don't want to be recognized. This is really getting annoying. Um, should we do top stories? Yes. Where to begin? This week has been just one Big story after another. I feel like the biggest story of the week, what would you say it is? I'd say Jessica Alba. Jessica Alba took her company, The Honest Company, public with an opening price that valued Alba's roughly 5% stake in the company at approximately $88 million. This is according to the Bloomberg Billionaires Index. And she also has options, stock options valued at about $21 million. So she is really, really rich. By the time you're listening to this, Jessica Alba will be very rich. And her husband, Cash, no pun intended, but (laughs) very on theme, is is very wealthy too. It was very successful. So, I mean, I imagine with a name like Cash, am I making this up? He went to Yale. You know what? A hot take on Ivy League schools is that now they're luxury brands, according to Scott Galloway, host of Pivot Podcast. His argument is Ivy League institutions are just selling, you know, a luxury brand brand education. They're not really offering a superior product. Just food for thought. Okay, back to Jessica Alba. (laughs) Very exciting for her. She has a very rags to riches story. The way she tells it with very hardworking parents, had health issues when she was young, and that was the impetus for wanting to start The Honest Company, a brand of like family baby products that are healthier for you and the environment, which we appreciate here at Eyewitness Beauty. We also appreciate rich people, rich, famous people. It's been a little bit of a rocky road for The Honest Company with some valuations and funding rounds that have been up and down. And I think this just goes to show that if you stay the course, 
you can make it work. Also, why do people call it the dishonest company? There have been like controversies. Because I feel like there's no one definition of what it means to be clean or eco. Yeah. And so if you don't live up to what somebody else's expectations are, then suddenly you're a liar. Yeah, that's a tough, that's a tough name for a company. Yeah, it is, isn't it? Well, they're honestly very, <laughs> very wealthy. Farfetch, which is the aggregator of international luxury stores so like you can buy something in italy you know like some designer piece and they'll send it to you overnight they make it easy to buy from like little boutiques around the world they're in talks to acquire and this is according to the business of fashion they're in talks to acquire violet gray which is interesting violet gray of course is the luxury beauty e-tailer they used to have a store on melrose place and is this very chic little Hollywood jewel box of a brand founded by Cassandra Gray, who is incredibly chic and the widow of Hollywood bigwig Brad Gray. I sound like I'm like reading a script, but I'm not. This is just the truth. It's just the way people company. in Hollywood talk. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. So anyway, Farfetch is in talks to sort of, I guess, boost their beauty business through the acquisition of Violet Gray. Violet Gray, I think, has been most successful, according to me, at really creating content around product launches and really like contentifying, so to speak, like product launches. So my best memory of that is when they launched Augustinus Botter and they did like a really smart rollout where it was like Instagram stories in a video that were like strung together that had Kim Kardashian, like all these people talking about like, oh, did you hear about the new, like this new crazy miracle cream? It created a lot of buzz. And the thing about Violet Gray too is that because they have a committee of experts who approve every product that goes into the store, the stamp of approval actually means quite a lot for brands. And a lot of other retailers like a Sephora or an Ulta would maybe look towards Violet Gray and their assortment when they were looking at new brands to take on. So it's like a trend-setting retailer. It's a smart move. It depends on the price, I guess. I don't get it, though. I, I mean, the idea that they're translating their catch-all designer boutique type marketplace model to beauty. I don't understand. Beauty is like, with the exception of fast beauty, which is not Violet Gray's wheelhouse, I would say most of their products are evergreen. I just don't understand how Farfetch makes sense in that world. Well, maybe it's more like a beauty content play because the problem with selling beauty on the internet is that sometimes you want to try it on or see how it feels and you can't return it. So, you know, an interesting thing with like fulfillment and beauty products is that if you don't like something and you open it and then you, you can send it back that you can restock it and send it to someone else versus if it was a pair of pants. Beauty doesn't work like that. So you really have to rely on content to tell the story of the products to ensure that the person who's getting it is getting what they expected. And Violet Gray does that really well. So I could understand that it'd be a leg up if they had that content machine. I don't know. I feel like Farfetch was doing such cool, innovative things on the fashion side, and they haven't even like scratched the surface in terms of like circular fashion and really like being innovative when it comes to how people consume clothing from all around the world. Truly, like what their name suggests, like Farfetch, finding hard to find designer, even vintage clothing from all reaches of the earth and making it more accessible. The beauty angle here just sounds me like a bit of a dare I say cash Warren grab than something that feels 
like it makes sense from a mission perspective. Other interesting news out of Violet Gray is that they have hired Sarah Brown, who is the former beauty director of Vogue and sort of an OG beauty writer in New York to be their new face of their editorial platform. So I think she's, what is she called? Executive Executive director. Executive director. And she's also overseeing something called Violet Labs, which is where they're incubating their own potential beauty products, but also like they've been making a lot of merch recently, like sweatshirts and little makeup bags. So maybe they're also readying their own line of products. Interesting moves like Violet Gray is doing something right because they've been around for quite some time and I think pivoted smartly you know, when it's been more about content or less about content or more about products, like I've been pretty impressed with how they have moved around. Speaking of really incredible content and beauty products, Zara announced this past week that they are launching beauty in a big way. I guess in the past, they've done like a lipstick collection here, fragrances there, but now they have Diane Kendall, who is again, OG, like Dick Page level makeup artist that has done like all the runway shows for every important fashion brand. Yeah, she did Alex Wang like for a long time. She was basically one of the makeup artists that really pioneered the grunge look in the 90s. Calvin Klein was a frequent collaborator. She actually designed Calvin Klein cosmetics. Do you remember that? Yeah. So Diane Kendall, but then also for the campaigns, for the content side, they have Mizell, Marilyn Minter, Mario Sorrenti, I believe Mario Testino, though. Maybe I'm making that up. All the big guys. All the big I mean, guys like shooting. Has so much money. I think what also I found interesting is that they are calling themselves clean and inclusive. That's like their beauty positioning, which, as you and I know, are like words that mean nothing. I want you to show me that, not tell me that at this point. They have 130 colors in the collection. But that's across all SKUs, like lips, eyes, face, nails. The price range is, I would say, inclusive, 8 to $26. And I actually like this line. Maybe I'm corny. Maybe, maybe I'm a softie. But there is no beauty, only beauties. <laughs> the photos are nice. I don't know. They're good. That's my hot take. Shop small, okay? Yeah, shop small. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Slow beauty. This is another piece of news out of the business of fashion. YouTube is holding its first virtual beauty festival. It will be free to tune into. It's on May 14th, and it's going to have celebrities like Pharrell and Millie Bobby Brown and Jessica Alba, as well as the most famous influencers on the platform. It sounds like it's going to be a highly produced. I saw that they have the guy that invented the 73 questions for Vogue. He's the one producing it. It's impressive. No, No, it is completely impressive. I feel like what I like in YouTube is like the really DIY feeling stuff. Like I'm in a room, I'm talking to a webcam versus the highly produced like award show vibe. But I'm going to tune in. Should we live blog it? (laughs) When is it? May 14th? May 14th. Are you available? No. Okay. We can't even update Instagram on a regular basis. I know, I know, I know. This was something that hit close to home. Hmm. A headline in Women's Wear Daily that said, Ugg is building a head-to-toe fashion brand. This is something that, honestly, if they had interviewed us, we could have told them months ago. It sounds like they might be a listener. I think they probably are. We saw this coming from... Miles away. They did a collection with Telfar. They're doing... What else? 
the fluff yeah slides got a shout out in a major way in this article which <laughs> Nick and I Nick and I take issue with because it's the ultra mini Uggs that really changed the game for the brand in summer of 2020 the crazy thing about the Ugg website besides the fact that there is a dizzying amount of information like you could get lost for days on the Uggs website, but if you go to like the collaborations, they're slinging collaborations that you would never even know that they were doing. There's one with someone named Feng Chen Wang, and it looks like they're kind of like Tiva's meat Uggs, which you can buy. There's a collaboration with someone named Molly Goddard. You don't um, know about Molly Goddard? No. He does those really voluminous tool net dresses that are all roughly like pinafore style, almost like Harajuku looking. She's British. Celebs love her. Rihanna wore one of her dresses and then nobody could ever get enough after that. The actual, oh no, they're gone. I was like going to see if I could buy them because the Fen Cheng Wang ones look really cool. It's like an inside out Ugg. Didn't you just buy some inside out Ugg sandals? Yes. Yes, I did. So the fluffies, which are the, like, how would you describe it? It's like a fluffy shower sandal with a mule, like, slingback. With a branded (laughs) slingback. Yeah, with a branded slingback. They have so many colors, like, all the colors of the rainbow. They have tie-dyed sweatpants. I'm just, like, giving you a little sense of what they have right now. Oh, they have a Mother's Day collection of bathrobe and a head towel. Oh, my God. They have these, they're called the men's pneumal snapback. And it's like a low top Ugg with clip across, like a sort of adds a little bit of like a sportswear element to the front, which makes it feel like masculine. There's some, a lot of new things. Try to sort by new whenever you can on Ugg.com. The disco slide and tie-dye is, it's like a closed-toed unicorn bang fluffy in rainbow multi. Oh my God, the disco slide is crazy. <laughs> they have a faux fur tie-dye jacket which is, you know, green and purple and blue, and it's $198. Wow, the fluff Um, sugar sandal is pretty intense, too. These people have lost their mind, but have (laughs) found themselves at the same. True. There's one called the fluffita, which is like the fluff, yeah, but instead of the slingback, it has like another, like a buckle over the top, which is kind of cool. Is it a buckle or is it Velcro? You would think that long faux shaggy fur and Velcro would not mix, but (laughs) Uggs, that's found a way. (laughs) We should have maybe just an Ugg segment where every once in a while we just check in on what they're offering right now. My favorite is their homeware section, which is like... Oh, I didn't even know they had a It's just like California neutral, like boho. (laughs) Neutral colors, cable knit throw pillows. I don't know. I don't know. Okay. And that's enough Ugg for today. No, you know what? That's not enough (laughs) Ugg for today because you know what I got in the mail yesterday? I got a little pair of baby-sized ultra mini Uggs from one Annie Kriegbaum so the three of us could match Mm -hmm. in our ultra mini Uggs. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. And other cozy, comfy news. I got an email from Better World Fragrance House. Which is Drake's candle company which honestly i forgot it's been there's been a bit of lag time (laughs) (laughs) it was like great who else sold my email to a company i've never heard of before why am i getting spammed and then i realized oh this is drake's candle line and they announced in this email that it is finally launching may 9th which is a sunday 
Why would you launch Sunday, a brand on a Sunday? That's so fulfillment centers are not open on Sundays. So you're going to place an well, order and ship gonna... it out first thing Monday morning. Look, apparently that's not the move. <laughs> I'm not the expert, but you don't have launches on a Monday because the fulfillment centers that pack everything up and ship it out, they need to like be like warmed up from a full Monday of business. Oh, yeah, yeah. And true, true, true. They don't just want to like come in cold on a Monday and have to learn how to like pack everything. I don't know if Drake is worried about that. What? Creator of the OVO empire? I think it's going to work out. I'm excited to smell them. We're not on the press list, but we should try to finagle our way onto it. So, Nick, you sent me this DM from The Cut about Goop and Celebrity Cruise Lines picking back up a collaboration. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was that Gwyneth was hosting her own cruise getaway, like a Goop summit on a boat. She is. No, that's not what it is. I know. Celebrity I was disappointed too. partnership. And the Goop Cruise, it's happening again. They're curating programming and fitness kits to add, oh. <laughs> They're curating programming the research, and fitness kits our- to add to the Celebrity <laughs> Cruise Line's wellness experience. So it's going to be Nick, I'm beginning like to a- think that maybe this isn't the most well-researched beauty podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was more like you get to go on a cruise with Gwyneth Paltrow, but really what you get to do is just maybe if you're on a cruise, get like a Gwyneth Paltrow-approved treatment. Right. It's like hmm. an add-on experience for celebrity cruise clientele. I guess you can pay like 750 bucks and you can get special programming and then like a fitness kit in your the closet that you stay in on a cruise. You'd have to pay me to go on a cruise. I don't trust a big boat. After the Titanic, I don't trust a big boat. <laughs> you can tell me that things have changed, that they have better Doppler, but fool me once. I don't like open water either. I'm right Oof. there with you. I don't trust it. There's it's, more water on Earth than people, you know what I mean? And that's a fact. We know more about space than we do about the ocean floor. Oof. Let me tell you that. I think we did it for the week. Anyone who has any comments about UGG, get at us. DM us personally. We still would like to do a collaboration with UGG. The offer still stands. So if you're listening... Get those fluffy ass a walk in to us. <laughs> Okay, so since everyone listening to this podcast is already like a beauty genius, we are not going to be the first ones to tell you about fungal acne. But I will say it's probably the newest beauty skincare term to like skyrocket into the mainstream discourse of skin issue in the past two years. And why is that? Well, It's in no small part to our guest this week. Our first anonymous guest. Yes, somewhat anonymous. He goes by FC. He is the founder of a website called Simple Skincare Science, which we'll talk about how he got into that in the interview. But he now has his own line of products specifically for people that deal with fungal acne, which again, we'll get to this in the interview, but apparently is not a real thing, according to the man himself. And he has his own line of products, Malesia, that he launched uh, this year in 2021, completely bootstrapped by himself, literally bought industrial machinery to make these things in a warehouse, which sounds not legit, but I think you'll find as we did in talking with him that he's quite legit. So yeah, this is our interview with FC. So to be clear, you're basically anonymous. Yeah, pretty much. And you always have been online. 
Yes, oddly enough. I think if people look hard enough, they can deduce who I am. That's actually happened a few times, funny enough. But yeah, since 2016, I've gone anonymously as FC. 2016. So that's when you popped the lid off of the fungal acne term, (laughs) which has now taken over any content involving skincare. Yeah, I should probably preface this by saying the blog was launched in 2016. I actually didn't focus particularly on microbiology and malassezia as a microorganism until... As what is a what? Oh, what? <laughs> Hold on. What, what are you? What do, are you a scientist? You sound very smart, but what oh, thank particularly you. is your passion within academia? This is actually a fascinating question. So I actually don't have particular credentials around skincare. Like I was a biomedical engineering major for three years in college, but for the sake of transparency, I actually changed majors three years in and got a degree in something completely unrelated. But you understood like methodology, oh, you know, of course, like, yeah. you know, and could read a research paper. Yeah, I took all the coursework. In fact, the only thing that was preventing me from getting my minor and associate's degree in science was because I didn't take a PE course. <laughs> like literally, I was just, I wanted to get out of college and sort of go my own way. So, so yeah, I do obviously know how to read studies. That's something I've been doing for the past five years religiously. And I also have the good fortune of working with brilliant scientists like our microbiologist, Kate Noonan. For the for your brand, yes. And so, simple skincare science is the blog that was launched in 2016. And what was the impetus of that? So I had the terrible, unfortunate circumstance, or fortunate, however you know, decide to view it, because I wouldn't be here without it today. But I had a lot of skin conditions that I suffer with personally, and to name some, acne was probably the most severe. I also dealt with quote unquote fungal acne or malassezia folliculitis, if you want to use the actual medical term. Dealt with seborrheic dermatitis, psoriasis. Just a lot of things. I'm just honestly pr- pretty unfortunate when it came to just skin conditions. Did these run in your family? Yeah. So honestly, my mom was blessed with the best genes ever. Never okay. has had acne in her life. I was like one gene away from having just the, the awesome genetics. But my dad, yeah, my dad had acne. He is actually also currently dealing with seborrheic dermatitis too. You know, he kind of has some sort of man's attitude, so he doesn't really want to do any skincare to fix it. But. So you had no help at home in addressing it, really. Yeah, no. So what happened, simple skincare science, why it got started was just, I told myself when I was dealing with a lot of these skin conditions that if I were ever fortunate enough to figure out how the hell to control it, that I owed it to other people who may be in similar situations. And so I did the terrible thing of taking pictures, you know, of my skin in like its worst condition, just so I could have evidence. Because one thing that always bothered me was beauty bloggers or something. I was like, oh, I had the worst skin ever. And then, I don't know, their skin looks fine. They have no like proof. Like <laughs> you wanted to make sure you had really good before pictures so that if the after was really good, people would be super Precisely, impressed. yeah. I even still yeah. have like acne scarring, you know. Same with our microbiologist. Like, fun fact, she was on Accutane five times before she was able oh. to kind of figure out sort of the more molecular mechanisms behind the causation of her acne and address things with skincare. It really, really cool stuff. But that's why Simple Skincare Science started. It was like, when I finally figured out how to clear my skin, I was like, okay, I owe it to people. Let me go out there and write a blog and hopefully people find it useful. And so your first post was about your journey. Was that like post number one? Yeah, it was the about page, really. Just sharing my story, sharing some photos, just a lot of documentation, kind of letting people know who I am. And that's when I was like, oh, as a shy introvert, I didn't really, I was in this weird, peculiar position where I didn't want to share my name. So I was like, oh, just call me FC. That's my initials. I honestly didn't think much about it. And in this first post, did you also reveal the solution? Like you obviously documented the problem, but how much of the solution did you give away on post one? Not much. What I started actually focusing specifically on kind of evidence-based ingredient breakdowns. For example, one of the first articles I ever wrote about was acetic acid. At the time, 
I mean, I would like go to Google search. There's like one article maybe about it. And so I was like, wow, there's actually a lot of data, including tons of in vivo data, particularly on humans that show this is a fantastic ingredient for acne, even though it's FDA approved as a rosacea treatment, right? So I wrote kind of all the reasons people should try acetic acid, kind of broke down the science. It's so funny because at this point, azelaic acid is like the trendy new acid. Oh, yeah. Maturium has two different solutions. Cody Rigsby from Peloton, who we talked to a few weeks ago, was like, Mm -hmm. azelaic acid changed my skin. Oh, yeah. You were really before your time. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure if you go to like archive.org and you put in like simple skinker science, the azelaic acid article will be there probably as early as 2016, yeah. How did you start to get an audience? Was it... SEO, people just searching for fungal. I mean, I guess, did they know what they were searching for until you kind of described it as that? What's funny is when I wrote the fungal acne article, like if you actually looked at the keyword data to see how much monthly searches it got, it was zero. It wasn't even the term people used. It was just organically. Like I never looked for a particular keyword. It was always kind of like, well, let's, let me talk about the things that help me, why they help me. And I'll just get all, compile as much science as I can on this particular topic and publish it. And then I'll just try and find the keywords, say, that are most kind of relevant. And traffic did grow very organically. And I think I've shared like only two or three times on Reddit, which kind of gave me some initial traffic to the blog. It's so crazy because we both came from digital editorial. Nick was on the traditional print editorial side before that. And just the idea of growing an audience that seems as large and engaged as the one that you have. Just to grow that without any sort of paid help behind it, paid marketing behind it, like a huge social boost you don't have any sort of celeb interviews on your site oh yeah no (laughs) it's just crazy to think that like you were able to really engage people is it the same people coming back every week to like read new posts or is it like new people coming into each article for different reasons or what are you finding Uh, well at first it was just a mix of things to be completely transparent like i did not think that i was going to become the quote-unquote fungal acne blogger i really was just nobody does nobody ever does Yeah, it just honestly, it was my personal experience and also reading a lot of literature research that kind of led me to that conclusion. And I just so happened to think that microbiology did best help me out. And it turns out that's also the situation for a lot of people. What is fungal acne? Like now it's this thing that everyone (laughs) talks about, but what is it and what causes it and what cures it? Sorry, that was a lot of questions at once, but what's between fungal acne and your run of the mill acne nothing like this is actually (laughs) this is actually something that we hope to try and dispel as a brand what most people don't understand is that all quote-unquote regular acne has a fungal component and all quote-unquote fungal acne also has a bacterial component sometimes there will be a predisposition of one microorganism proliferating versus another. Like, for example, Cudibacterium is what most people associate as acne-causing bacteria. It turns out that Cudibacterium actually competes for lipid resources in the follicular contents of acne against Malassezia. They're kind of like adversaries. And Malassezia is the fungal... Is yes, it fungus? exactly. Anytime you have a microbiologist perform very advanced methodology to examine the follicular content of acne. What they find is that 100% of the time, malassezia is present in that acne. And not only is it present, but the size of inflammation or how big the pimple is directly correlates with the acne. Fungal acne, it depends who you ask nowadays. In our opinion, we're simply acknowledging the fact that acne does have a fungal component. That means that a fungus on your skin causes irritation and inflammation? People will can debate this, but in our opinion, yes, we think that malassezia is actually one of the strongest organism of the main three, usually found in acne lesions, which by the way, in case anyone's wondering, that's Cootie bacterium, Staphylococcus, and malassezia. Is that where cooties come from? 
Yes. <laughs> yeah. It must exactly. be. Oh, yeah. It honestly must be, though. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Okay, <laughs> anyway, continue. <laughs> so, yeah, in our opinion, malassezia is actually the one that induces the strongest comedome formation. And the comedome formation is the lesion itself. Exactly. Like, again, if our microbiologist was on here, she would tell you, like, oh, okay, it all starts with kind of the TLR2 response. It's essentially these proteins found on cells that kind of, you know, they initiate an immune response. And then you get, like, 12 different steps, and eventually you get the inflammation of pimple. But the long story short is that every single way in which people see the molecular evidence pointing to cutibacterium initiating the inflammatory cascade, malassezia does identically, but at a faster rate. The way that it initiates an immune response in some ways, is 100 times greater than bacteria. And so are those three things always on the surface of human skin and they just become out of whack and that's how like acne happens or are they introduced in other ways? So yeah, all three of these are also uh, commensal organisms. So essentially, they, everybody has them. Just for some individuals, they become opportunistic or pathogenic. Is that like if you have a disruption in your skin barrier or if something like that happens, that, then yeah. that'll allow the cootie bacterium to infiltrate? Yeah, that's one way. It's really a multifaceted issue. It can be from any number of reasons. But what tends to happen is eventually someone will get a virulent of the microorganism that is pathogenic. And so that kind of is what distinguishes why some people have acne and others don't. People like myself that do have acne, we essentially have overactive microorganisms. They get a little too excited. <laughs> They're like anxious or something, you know, and then <laughs> give us issues. Whereas other people, their microorganisms are more chill. Now that you've identified that fungus is a main component, whether it's the biggest or it's next to the bacterium, how do you treat fungus beyond the... I guess we've all kind of seen at this point the dandruff shampoo trick for your like oh body acne or yeah. like the sides of your face. I actually don't recommend that. But No? Okay. Okay. So that was going to be my question is like, how do you go about treating the fungus then on your skin? So our philosophy is you take into consideration all of the three microorganisms and you kind of measure sort of their metabolic activity, their nutritional requirements, and you formulate around that so as to essentially, in this case, kill three birds or microorganisms with one stone. I thought if we disturb the balance of nature, we're causing further harm to like ourselves. So do we really want to kill all these things or we just want to like find a way to live in peace with them? Again, it will depend on what variation of, of microorganisms you have on your face. Like some people, yeah, cootie bacterium can serve some purposes. Same thing with malassezia, but others, you won't. It's like, Nick, when the, there's So like it's a, like an overgrowth of Yeah, when there's things. like a species a, where there's too many of them and they have, oh, they, like, they release yeah, yeah, that yeah. predator into like cold. So is that really, so that's what it is, is that for some people, they just get basically an overgrowth? Depends. So when you look at the microorganisms, you have different strains, right, among the family. Like in malassezia, for example, is, is a lipophilic microorganisms with 14 different species. Some people have, for example, more M restrictor versus M globosa. M restrictor is actually negatively correlates, at least in some studies, with acne. So if you have that variation of the strain and species, it's less problematic than if you have malassezia globosa, which is, that's the one that correlates more with acne. So Honestly, it's pretty, it's exciting, but also complicated because each, sometimes the strains among species will have different nutritional requirements. When you talk about nutritional requirements, you're saying like feeding the fungus? Yeah, exactly. Or you cut off the food supply and that's how you kill the fungus. So even if you cut off the food supply, it could still use your sebum. You have fatty acids and all kinds of stuff that the microorganism can utilize in your own 
oils, right? Your skin oils. But it's our opinion that you don't want to add additional food sources. So what would those be? Like a moisturizer based on an oil? Yeah, so this was the entire premise of Malesia, our skincare brand, because what this means, if you're going to avoid these ingredients, you're going to have to avoid oils. Fatty acids with carbon chain links between 12 and 24. Fatty alcohols. Polysorbates. Did I say esters? I mean, basically, this is found in 95% of skincare products. Oh, my God. Okay, now (laughs) I get it. So what you're saying is basically like what you guys discovered, essentially, or at least like uncovered, we can say, Mm. is that... If you struggle with a certain type of acne, 95, 98% of skincare that's sold is going to actually feed the microorganisms that cause the acne rather than stop them. Yeah, and people would say arguably cause the acne, you know. Based on the molecular evidence, and we do think, you know, or hope that kind of the science is pushed forward and eventually we do have, like, say, the Holy Grail double-blinded placebo-controlled trial examine different vehicles on acne outcomes, etc., but... You know, in the meantime, we do have mostly anecdote from thousands of people who say gravitate towards our blog and our brand and also just the molecular evidence. So you had essentially a cult blog and then you said, okay, now I'm ready to formulate something that avoids the ingredients that arguably Mm -hmm. cause or correlate with whatever. (laughs) This is really exposing the fact that I did not take a biology class in college. (laughs) So you decided to launch your own brand as a way to sort of provide products to the people who need them, I assume, because it sounds like you're not in it for like a cash grab. I was literally just about to say that was not exactly correct. I didn't want to start a skincare brand. What ended up happening was when I first released this article, told everybody like, hey, these are the ingredients you have to avoid, blah, blah, blah. It kind of explained the concept. Everybody was like, can you give us product recommendations? And at the time, I could find maybe like 20. It was so limiting. I was like, this is really, there's nothing really here. And what ended up happening over the years is the Simple Skincare Science community crowdsourced a total of like 1,500 products that all met this criteria. That's still published on the blog and stuff. But I was very curious to do basically like a N equals one study on myself and formulate some products that say had the problematic ingredients and others that didn't and just test them on my face to see if this led to any problems. God, you sacrificed everything for this. Yeah, yeah, so what happened is I (laughs) our moisturizer was... That's how it came to fruition. And I, initially, I was just like, hey, guys, check us out. This is their ingredients. I literally even told somebody how to make it in the comments. You're like one of those coders who like is into like open source. Oh, 100%. <laughs> you're like more about like this should be free. Yeah, oh, you're yeah. like the anonymous of skincare. You're like hacking into how to treat acne. You're the Julian oh. <laughs> Assange. That's hilarious. <laughs> no, you're not. But how big is your community? Like you have this cult community. I think you're sort of like downplaying the fact that you have a huge audience for this blog. Like you have more comments on some of your articles than like any article that we've written in our whole careers. I guarantee you, you guys are way, way bigger than I am. Like, you know what it is? It's just the appearance. It's because I publish articles like very infrequently. So they're up for a long time. And then people, it's like evergreen content where people always can go back. It's relevant. And they'll, yeah, I guess, but still like part of, that's what I was saying earlier. It's like, you kind of don't do the things that apparently are supposed to grow an audience. Like publishing quite frequently is one of the ways that right. you're told to keep your audience engaged and to like grow it. Yeah, well, I mean, in terms of figures, at its height, Simple Skincare Science was like getting around 400,000 monthly visitors, which honestly is not, I mean, I don't know, I guess everyone has different metrics, but definitely there are people that's like peanuts in comparison to, but. It's modest, but not given the fact that you've done this completely organically. And they're hyper engaged with what you're doing. I was reading on your website, malaysia.com, the FAQ, and you have a disarmingly honest and 
transparent, but without the marketing spin of transparent way of communicating. I found it really refreshing that like you would sort of say, okay, consumers are asking, here's a good question. Is my tube underfilled? Is a potential (laughs) question that a consumer might ask. And you say, of course not. We calibrate our pneumatic piston machines to dispense 50 grams. They have an accuracy of 1% to 2%, and we periodically check them throughout the days we fill to ensure they're working properly. And here's some photos of the tests that we've been running on these scales. Like, that's a level of transparency, one, that most brands don't try to even meet. But number two, it's a unique way of letting people feel like they have a stake in your business, right? They feel... Like you're validating their purchase by the thought that you put into these answers. Thanks. I mean, it's. I mean, it's just just be honest. I don't know. It's not a. But that is like not the mantra of the beauty industry. <laughs> I don't know why. I, I think that's unfortunate. What have been the biggest struggles with having your own brand? Oh man, honestly, one thing it's done is given me like I have so much respect for people that decide to start brands now because it's freaking hard. Like the moment we launched, despite the fact that for like a year everybody was super encouraging and positive, like I swear the moment we launched it was like criticism instantly. I was like, oh my God, what, what's going on? And it was, I think it's as soon as you become a company, I guess people forget that there's like human beings running that. They feel like it's a corporation. Yeah, exactly. Like it's like unethical corporation. You're like, what? You know, the biggest struggle so far has been expanding. We're obviously bootstrapping right now. So you did something very different too. in the fact that you bought industrial machinery to actually produce the bulk yourself and fill it, right? Oh, yeah. That was basically the last year of my life, just building out, you know, skincare lab with all the necessary equipment and bootstrapping it, too. So why don't you just go to like a chemist or like a lab and say, here, here's what I want to make and here's what I need from you and have them do it? It's a great question. Like, I reached out to 12 labs. All of them were like, how dare you tell me I can't use? They weren't that mean about it. But essentially, it was like going to a contract manufacturer and telling them, hey, you can use esters, you can use oils, you can use fatty alcohols, you can use blah, blah, blah. It's 95% of the stuff they use. And they're going to look at this small fry me and be like, why should I completely change my manufacturing practices and stock formulas to help you out, you know? So when I was reaching out, every time I was met with your guidelines are too stringent, can we change the emulsifier in the product? Can we this and that, blah, blah, blah. And why I ended up deciding to do manufacturing on our own is because our our microbiologist actually reached out to me with the best business pitch ever. And so I was like, oh, I have to work with this lady. What was the best business pitch? If you ever want to get hired, this is what you got to do. She was like, hello, my name's Kate. I'm a microbiologist that has direct experience growing malassezia at biosafety level two. I have very keen skills with rheology modifiers, which are the only type of emulsifiers malassezia can't utilize. And additionally, I'd like to correct some of the information on your blog because it's inaccurate <laughs> considering you have not included the most recent Dobbler studies. I was like, who is this? So I, I was like, dude, let's, can I call you? And she was like, yeah. And then we spoke for two hours and ended up working with each other ever since. So. so if I have acne and I'm looking for a solution that is not Accutane, it's not something super systemically intense, and I use your moisturizer and your gel, is it going to cure my acne? We hope so. There's always going to be like biodiversity among people. But we have, I'm like actually super stoked about this. We actually already have since the month we launched, we actually sold out of moisturizer this morning. Wow. When did this actually launch? March 15th. Oh, so this is all really new. Yeah, a month. Yeah, I know. It gives you street cred. You're like, yeah, sold out. But it's like the most stressful thing right now. One of the commenters on your acne treatment gel wrote, five stars, I trust FC with my life. (laughs) That's it. That's the review. (laughs) 
So like you, I feel like are a little bit of, and I don't mean this at all in a condescending way, but a diamond in the rough in that this brand should be the best selling brand at Sephora right now. And yet you're dealing with urea suppliers yourself. How do you see yourself taking the brand to the next level in terms of scale? Oh man, that's yet to be determined. That's honestly a big struggle. We're in this like really difficult position where because we have very particular ways of formulating, it's difficult to find say, a contract manufacturer to do this for us. So Right now, we are going to do our best to reinvest everything into sort of getting the equipment necessary and hopefully, you know, scale. Okay, so because you ran into so many struggles and had to dig deep to find why so many skincare products weren't working for you, what are kind of your top tips for our readers who are also struggling with acne and have tried everything and can't figure out why things aren't working? I mean, I don't want to sound biased, but go to malaysia.com. I'm just kidding. No. Uh, no. Top tips, I would say it really is the principles of what the brand is based off. But I would say if possible, first of all, just learn as much as you can. You should be your own best advocate. Knowledge is just the reason I'm even here in the first place. But you should absolutely read, come to your own conclusions. I feel like if you were to do that and you are an acne prone individual, you'll find what ingredients to avoid which is really quickly, again, the fatty acids, fatty alcohols, esters, polysorbates, and most oils, okay? And then you want to find products that meet this criteria. But additionally, if possible, use an acne treatment that will inhibit the major three microorganisms involved in acne, which is staph, malassezia, and cutibacterium. Benzoyl peroxide is, for example, a great one because it inhibits all three. So if I have what I feel like is a pimple under the surface, but I don't necessarily have what I would know to be fungal acne or like I don't have particularly acneic skin, but we all get breakouts once in a while. Mm -hmm. Can I use the treatment gel as a spot treatment at night and wake up and it looks better? Can it be used in that way? Like as a casual user? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it will depend on the severity, right? But you can absolutely use it as spot treatment. If you are a person who continually deals with breakouts, best to use it as an all over. But yeah, there's nothing stopping from just using it as a spot treatment. And how are you selling this for $11.50? Honestly, yeah, we're not even making that much money off of the BP. <laughs> but I actually love what Desium did. I actually really looked up to Brand Truex, rest in peace, when he was alive. I really did love what he was doing with sort of the transparency around pricing. And I was inspired by that, you know, like I think one day, maybe I mean, not making any promises, but if we could actually replicate some of the pricing that Desium did, oh, that'd be incredible. Right now, we just we're a limited three person team. We can't do that. <laughs> well, I think you're doing a pretty good job. If people want to follow the blog, it's obviously simpleskincarescience.com and yeah. your brand is Malaysia, M-A-L-E-Z-I-A.com. Um, you can, it looks like I'm on the site right now. You can still buy them. Oh no, it's sold out, oh, but yeah. you can be emailed when the moisturizer is back in stock Yeah, and you can get the gel. And I feel like you are your own best marketer because I'm now sold that you know exactly what you're doing. Wow. Well, thank you so much. I'm honored that you think that. <laughs> so products of the week, the time is now, and I've been <laughs> like dying to give you my product of the week because as you know, Annie, I love like a treat, a snack. And especially if it can be like a healthier version of a thing that I like, I am in. There's a new candy bar on the block. It's called Gigantic. Have you heard of it? I'm the one that told you about this. I don't think you told me. Mm -hmm. They're amazing. They're a $4.20 candy bar. And I was actually just 
comparing the ingredients from a gigantic candy bar, which comes in, you know, fancy hipster flavors like almond horchata and like hazelnut surprise or whatever. But their whole idea is the fat part of the candy bar nutrition is fine, but it's really the sugar that's problematic. So they have found a way with sugar substitutes that are not Splenda and equal or whatever to create a low sugar, lower sugar candy bar. So, you know, whereas a Snickers bar has approximately 25 grams of sugars, 23 of those grams are added sugars. The gigantic bar has seven grams of sugars, six grams of added sugars. However, like from a calorie perspective, they're both about the same, you know, a hazelnut cafe, gigantic bar to a Snickers bar, 200 calories versus 220 in the Snickers bar. Fat is about the same. Saturated fat is about the same. I guess it's it's good for someone who's really trying to watch their sugar. But the funny thing about this is I feel like this reminds me of when I was a kid and there was this brand Healthy Choice, which yes. made like frozen pizzas and like these devil's food cake cookies. Yes. And their whole thing was being fat free. But in order to be fat free, they were full of sugar because as long as on the label it said 0% of your daily you know fat intake, consumers would buy it. And so now obviously we've changed to being like super high fat. This has 14 grams of fat in the protein bar and but really low sugar, which is probably the healthier place to be, but it's still a candy bar. And how does it taste? Fucking delicious. What flavors did you try? The gigantic bars are really good. I tried the hazelnut cafe. I tried the almond horchata. They're like crispy, they're crunchy, they're perfect. You're not going to miss any of the sweetness. Were you the one that told me about Quest Bars? Quest Bars are like yesterday's news, but yeah. (laughs) Okay. How do they compare to Quest Bars? So Quest Bars are a protein bar, and so the goal is very different. A Quest Bar is trying just to be a protein bar. It's like 20 grams of protein in a bar. But a gigantic bar is trying to be a candy bar. They're not trying to to have like protein in it. Oh, look what I just found. This is a DM from March 30th of me sending Nick... This ad for gigantic candy bars. We got a regular Bob Woodward on our hands here. She's found me mm-hmm. out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's ripped the lid <laughs> off of this story. Anyway, you can buy them on giganticcandy.com. You can buy a variety pack for $27.99 for eight candy bars. There's a banana flavor, which I'm not into. So I would just do the hazelnut cafe is delicious, kind of Nutella vibes. And then the almond horchata candy bar is more of like a traditional Snickers kind of delicious. Thank you, Nick. You're welcome. This week, I tried Dr. Barbara Sturm. You know, I've never tried it. Really? Yeah, no, me neither. And I got just one product. I tried her face mask. Simply put, just face mask is what it's called. It is... Basically, a really gentle, the texture is very like watery, I would say, for a clay mask, which this is. Its first ingredient is water and then kaolin clay, glycerin, sweet almond oil. There are some other ingredients in here that are kind of interesting, but they're so far down the list. It's not a long ingredient list. I think really it's mostly water, honestly, and kaolin clay and glycerin. But I have to say, I really liked it. It was refreshing. I love a green French clay mask, which is kaolin clay. I don't know. Am I saying that right, Nick? Kaolin, kaolin. Yeah. Anyway, I used it. You put it on for 10 minutes, 10 to 15 minutes. It comes with a brush. I'm sure it was very expensive. Let me check the price. 
Oh, God. <laughs> okay, so it's $120 for almost 1.7 ounces, which is not cheap. I will say if you are looking for a price-friendly alternative, what it kind of reminded me of was if you were to take the two Glossier face masks, which are the Moisturizing Moon Mask and the Mega Greens Galaxy Pack, and if you were to mix them together and put them in the refrigerator... It's probably what this would feel like. There you go. Look for less. I like that. Yeah. You can't tell. My skin is outrageous right now because I am not sleeping. I am very stressed. But you know what I've decided? You know what my therapist told me? And I can't remember if we talked about it on the podcast. One of the biggest problems for insomniacs is they get stressed about not being able to sleep. So I've just given it you to, have to God. Lean into it. Yeah. I've just given it to God. I've just said, I can't sleep. That's my life now. And I'm not going to stress over it anymore, right? I feel like readers would also have a good solution for that. Have you tried melatonin? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Please stop. Please nobody give me solutions. Trust me, I've tried it. Okay, I swear to God, well, do not DM me any sleep solutions. <laughs> I've given it to just God. Like taking like deep breaths or just like, you know what? Put your phone in a different room. Yeah, just like that? turn off all screens like an hour before bed. <laughs> yeah, it's about sleep hygiene, Annie. With that little advice, I think it's time to call it. Eyewitness Beauty is produced by the ever-lovely Jessamine Molly of Seaplane Armada. Our album art, our cover art, was created by Simon Abronowitz. And our theme music and every bit of music that we play is by Danny Prezant. You can follow us on Instagram at eyewitnessbeauty or you can email us at hi at eyewitnessbeauty.com. We're on Twitter which you always forget to say, but I witness beauty was too long. So we had to be the letter I witness beauty tweet us. We'll be back next week with what I'm sure will be a wonderful episode. So Andy, get some rest. Thanks, Nick. Nighty night. night.